Welcome to the latest in our VX Insight podcast series designed to help you make the case for meaningful transformation across your business today. So this episode is focused on legacy tech transformation. Now, this isn't a big theme that steals many headlines, and yet it's on the critical path for pretty much all of the major trends that are shaping the industry today. So DLT, T plus one, even ESG, all of them have legacy technology on the critical path towards basically towards the realization of of all of our digitization and transformation. So a few months ago, we set out uh, to understand really the details and the real story behind legacy tech transformation. So working with IHS Market and with the support of Digital Asset and the Network Forum, we reached out to about 100 organizations to understand exactly how, where, and why legacy tech is really impacting their businesses. And so it's a pleasure today to have Richard Wilson from IHS Market and Tracy Moores from Digital Asset to be able to talk through exactly what we've learned so far and ultimately where the conversation goes. So Richard, Tracy, thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you, Barney. It's a pleasure to be here. So just to jump in, um, before we we open with the questions, I would underline that anyone who wants to see the key findings, uh, they are available at www.thevx.io. And uh, we'll be adding more and more resources to that page as we go if you want to keep up on the conversation. So to jump in, so Richie, you know, Let's just frame the conversation properly in terms of, you know, how do you define uh, legacy tech in terms of, you know, it, looking at it from a bank or a broker or an investor's perspective, you know, where does it sit in the priority list today and, and kind of what's driving that? I think there's probably a number of things driving it, Barry, from our, from our perspective, certainly over the last while, but we've seen for a lot of firms that's driving it. To me, to me there's three main ones. You've got the economic regulation and then you've also had the pandemic effect, which you hopefully seeing the back of, I mean, if you look at it from an economic perspective, you know, there's been a lot of cost pressures. You know, you've seen a lot of focus on strategic cost reduction, doubling down on firms now looking at cloud, trying to get the higher levels of efficiency, service standardization, particularly in industries that's become very concentrated. So there's been a lot of competition, consolidation, and really, I think trying to apply new tech um, really is now about you know, delivering new products, trying to exceed client expectations, particularly with a a lot of competition out there across from these new fintech firms coming in. Also, you know, if you look at the regs, I mean, we've had so many regulations over the last recent years, and certainly they bring their own challenges. You know, we had recently the SRD2 regulation. We've got the CSDR one coming up now at the start of Feb. And now you've got the UST plus one. So certainly firms are certainly being impacted. You know, you've got a lot of this reg coming in, just higher capital requirements, higher reporting requirements. So certainly investing in the new tech, certainly to comply with those regulations, is going to bring um, a lot of challenges to the firms, but also uh, introduce a lot of opportunities potentially there for new services. And then the last one I kind of think about is always the, the pandemic effect. So what that's really done is highlight the importance of technology. You know, I mean, firms have had to kind of learn to function new. You know, it's highlighted a lot of weaknesses and inefficiencies in infrastructure, particularly a lot for a lot of the firms. And as you mentioned, you know, we've seen booms now also in ESG securities, you know, effectively how are people going to be able to manage them? You know, people are looking at those global challenges. And the other one that's kind of catching on to is also the digital assets, you know, so traditionally as traditional assets and digital assets now being looked to safe kept in the same environment and the same platform. So certainly there's some of the firms, some of the key things that we're certainly seeing with some of the firms we're dealing with really is people trying to look to see how do they deal with this legacy tech issue. Yeah, so pretty much, pretty much everything, really. I mean, it's it's funny. It basically sits under it sits underneath everything, doesn't it? Really, as you said, every 
I'm just picturing the board level meeting, you know, in, in any organization, it's pretty much every every action point on their list is basically has legacy tech standing behind it. I mean, Tracy, from your perspective, obviously from digital asset, you know, you guys are at the forefront of kind of driving the change in the next generation. How do you see the, the legacy piece kind of coming up in, in firms that you're speaking with? No, I, I think it's a great question. And Richard really touched on on the key themes that, that we're also seeing from our side, I guess I would expand on, on a couple of those. Um, the competitive landscape um, that you're seeing and the focus on client experience. I think, you know, we, uh, you know, speaking towards some of maybe the buy side, you know, the cost pressures are real um, and, and they're constantly being pushed by their clients to, to get new products to market faster um, as, as well as, you know, maintaining uh, operational costs. So operational efficiency uh, is certainly driving a lot um, and customer experience. I think what a key theme that we're really seeing and when you think about replacement of technology in the past was the focus you know, has traditionally been on how can we lower our costs? How can we help you save money? I think a theme that we're seeing uh, that's growing that, that we certainly embrace is that, you know, you want technology that can lower your costs, um, decrease risk, but also help you generate new revenues. So we talked about new products to market. So how can that technology help you evolve um, and, and differentiate yourself uh, in the marketplace? Yeah, and I think this is the this great openings from both of you, really, because I think for me, when I historically when I heard the word legacy technologies, exactly as you say, you think about basically cost avoidance and basically throwing old stuff in the bin. You don't really think about actually the customer experience and the, the revenue facilitation angle, which I really want to come back to later on. So thank you for for, for framing it. So just to walk through. Um, first part of, of, I suppose, this conversation is really is just mapping out where is the legacy technology today, um, and then we can go through the case for transformation and then what the journey looks like around transformation. But three key stats, I think, for me from our research in terms of where the where the, the legacy is, where the legacy technology is holding us back today. So first of all, um, a major imbalance between the buy side and the sell side. So about 27% or up to 27% of sell side systems being older than 20 years old. Um, uh, so, you know, some, some and aging every year. 97% of listed derivative systems still being single asset class. So essentially some very, very acute um, siloing um, and legacy technology showing through across the, the asset class spectrum. And then ultimately across a different access geographically, 84% of broker systems being run either on a local basis and country level or on a regional basis. So, you know, there's a lot of pockets of transformation here. Oh, sorry, there's a lot of pockets of legacy technology here. And Richard, where do you see across all of those, where do you see the real hotspots in terms of the, the most acute manifestations of legacy? I think it's an interesting one, Barney. I think if you look at over the years, you know, focus has always been in the front office. Right now, we're kind of, as we move into what is that back office piece, effectively what people call is the plumbing. And just like, you know, I think the plumbing in your house, most, most firms don't spend money on post-trade plumbing, really, unless there's a serious problem. You know, a lot of times... I would say budgets are very conservative uh, where possible, but now we're starting to see a lot more interest in those areas. And a lot of that's been driven by the, rec uh, the regulation uh, and the change that's happened, but also, I guess, a lot of the volumes and um, they're putting a lot of these older systems certainly under a lot more pressure. 
Um, if you look at in the corporate action space, you'd have a lot of manual and bespoke systems, really, which need digitalized. Um, and certainly those reg techs have also put your know, CSTR, put settlement position keeping, keeping systems are much more into focus, where really firms need to implement those technology changes support those regulation changes and these systems won't be able to support that level of efficiency and volumes in the future certainly not to meet the level of the client expectations which Tracy mentioned earlier you know which is continuing to grow and um, a lot of times I think clients have the expectation that technology should be meeting up with their current needs as they push their iPhone and push their buttons but unfortunately financial firms kind of don't really keep up with that uh, as much as uh, people's expectations. So thanks for that so Tracy, from your perspective, I mean, again, you know, you're as you were saying, you know, you've got you've got the whole spectrum of kind of costs, uh, costs, and then basically, and then future proofing, client experience, revenue generation. Where across all the industry are you seeing the kind of the absolute the the hotspots? Well, I, I think when, when we talk about technology as a whole and and um, the way our industry has been able to to grow and evolve with the help of technology. Um, it, it's actually, I think, starting to become a bit of a burden uh, for some of these institutions, be, because as you mentioned, you, you have the uh, single asset systems, you have uh, particular pieces of technology that are only focused on one part of the business. So a, as you start to expand your technology use, you've now created a problem of disparate systems, um, very uh, disconnected data models, um, so ultimately, you know, we're looking for solutions here and we're, we're technically, you know, creating more problems for the organizations. As Richard said, the, the plumbing is only getting worse. Um, the front of the house may, may look beautiful, but um, I think we need to get back to focusing on the plumbing, um, really getting these systems, getting more, updating your infrastructure to account for multiple uses and getting away from the single use case systems. Yeah, yeah. And just in terms of actually when in your both of your conversations with clients, I mean, how would you characterize the the, the kind of the symptoms of legacy tech? I mean, we've, we've covered many areas. And as you said, Richard, you know, people don't spend on post-trade unless they absolutely have to. Um, how is the legacy tech conversation kind of coming through? Is it is it in a in a kind of firefighting mode? Are people discussing it? You know, is it coming through in more of a future planning mode? And ultimately, what are the I suppose what are the red flags that people are citing in terms of do you know what this is it? This is basically this is the end of the road for the system. We've got to move on from here. I think it's been a bit of a mixture, Barney. To be honest, which I think some some firms are kind of. I've hit issues around scalability, um, you know, where the level of volumes over the last number of months, a number of years, really have put them under a lot of pressure, you know, and what that does effectively hinders any competitive advantage or market differentiation that they have. Um, I've certainly seen other surveys where you've seen 51% or a bit more firms are saying that you know, their biggest challenge is uh, really around legacy tech. They just can't scale. They can't meet the volumes. You know, there's just massive cost pressures. And if they're not able really to benefit or utilize any level of standardization to improve their, their services, you know, they're really going to struggle to compete. So I think mm. there's a big push on that to kind of make sure that the scalability element is there to, mm. to kind of help them succeed. Mm. Yeah, because both of you, this this idea of it really being more of a future-looking conversation rather than a backward-looking conversation is coming through quite clearly. I mean, Tracy, do you find, you know, your point around data models and, and just ultimately this race that, particularly on the buy side, that people are, you know, fund managers are having to do to ultimately to deliver, you know, cheaper, better products. I mean, 
How do you find that this is kind of that, that legacy is turning up on that critical path in terms of in that race to scalability and things? Are you finding anecdotally people turning up and saying, do you know what? Um, we're just spending way too much time connecting up the data, we're spending way too much time managing this or managing that. I think think time and resources uh, are, are key. Um, and I know we'll get into that, but um, you know, t- time to market. I think if you spoke to anyone on, on any side of the business um, and they're finding ways of replacing uh, legacy technology, how, how can they do that in the most time uh, and cost-effective manner? I think many of these projects that people want to engage in, you know, once they get it all on paper, it looks to be a two, three-year project. And, and I think that, um, that in itself is a risk. Um, as technology continues to evolve. So, um, you know, we are seeing, uh, we we like to say, you know, um, we know this is a revolution in terms of technology, but um, this needs to be uh, an evolutionary move where you start replacing and and start working piece by piece where you can get value today um, versus Mm -hmm. looking at an entire rip and replace in the future. Yeah, yeah. And just just thinking about that, then the time to market, the 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 revenue facilitation, the client experience. If we were having this conversation five, ten years ago, do you think it would have been meaningfully different in terms of the drivers that people were facing then and now? I think the reliance um, on third party vendor technology five years ago, um, and that outsourcing model, I think, was what consumed a lot of. Uh, approach to to technology and, and replacing that. I think some some today would argue that um, maybe that got a little too ahead of itself. And we talked about the, you know, the multi, multiple duplicative systems um, that, that people have, have deployed over time. So um, I think the difference today is you're seeing a little bit more uh, that firms are trying to bring a little bit more in-house to, to maybe get that competitive advantage, their own secret sauce on it. And, and again, bring that we talked about the being their own version of, of client experience um, to, to their technology systems. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Richie, do you, do you think we've moved on much in terms of the how we describe and how we how we see the legacy problem in the last in the last five years? Yeah, I think we have Barney to be honest. I think a lot of firms now are much more open towards the newer technologies and the next gen, you know, um, solutions that are really coming in place. I think five years ago, certainly from our experience, a lot of firms would have been very much into having uh, applications maybe on-site or in-house, where now you're seeing, you know, the cloud. The cloud is just, it's kind of, it's a given now where people are kind of looking to reduce that total cost of ownership, effectively having, you know, managed services, having outsourcing, um, certainly to, to, to various different vendors. So I think the concepts have certainly moved forward, and I think Firms are certainly looking for a lot more now. You know, they're looking for much more component-based, more systems that can effectively integrate easier with each other through APIs, et cetera. So I certainly think the landscape has changed and mm. um, you know, firms are certainly mm. much more open to newer technologies. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting, really, that the, yeah, yeah, this, Tracy, your point about insourcing ultimately is is, is increased the, the focus on your technology platform is really interesting kind of, and, and, and the idea that now that the, the kind of the menu of options um, is is much, much bigger than it was ultimately. is It's meaningfully different from me if we were having this conversation several years ago. 
So, so then in terms of what do we do about it? So the case for change, um, you know, if, if we've talked about basically that the inputs to this discussion are, are manifold in terms of revenue facilitation, client experience, all the way through to the old good old cost management. Um, what's fueling the cost for change based on the research, it, as far as we can tell, is, is interestingly, it's, it, it reconciles entirely with what you're saying. It's not system end of life. So we're not dealing with legacy because basically it has to go in the bin. We're dealing with it either because, as you said, Richie, regulations, cost, risk management, those are all the major drivers that are actually that are fueling the business case today. Um, but really echoing your point, you know, for me, a standout stat is that the average, you know, PL of a legacy project, legacy transformation project is about one and a half million dollars, of which about 40, 45% is new revenue facilitation. So, you know, for me, you know, it, it's it's part of this whole discussion is very critical to remind ourselves that it's not about costs. It's not just about shutting down. Um, it's about growth and facilitating time to market, new assets, new growth, as, you, as you've been saying. But ultimately, um, on, on the challenges that we have to address in the business case, resourcing stands out as being the biggest problem. So, you know, Tracy, you touched on it. How do you resource up a multi-year project? Um, you know, basically, just how do you get this stuff done in an era where obviously our return on investment timeframes are quite short? Um, you know, especially over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of firefighting. So 13% of respondents citing um, resourcing as being the biggest challenge. So in the context of all of that, um, when you guys think of the business cases, and you're obviously intricately involved in those transformation discussions, what are the actual the, the trigger points that are making people cross the line, if you like, um, in terms of taking something from a, you know, like the frog boiling in water, taking them from, yes, this is a problem to, yes, this, this is something we're actually going to do about it. Richie, have you got a view there? Yeah, I think certainly from our perspective, again, right, I think you know, operational efficiency is a key. Mm. You know, people really are looking to achieve that STP as much as possible. You know, certainly I've seen over, particularly during the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of inefficiency around any paper, paper-based process, you know, around mm. proxy voting, account opening. And that was all amplified during the pandemic. You know, firms really, they tried to pivot. And certainly they've adjusted, and but some of that stuff has been temporary and it's not really sustainable uh, long-term processes. So I think, you know, they definitely need to move off those more tactical solutions that they've put in place. You know, also then, as I mentioned, I can go back to the reg and it's just so prevalent at the moment. You know, firms need to look at that kind of a holistic approach, how they're going to deal with best practices across the middle and back office. You know, a lot of times you need to simplify and rationalise these systems in light of what these global regulations are doing. Um, it's different if it's more jurisdictional. You can probably look at putting in a service in place, but certainly for the larger, larger, you know, industry-wide regulations, you certainly need to have that right approach. And then the other ones I kind of see as a trigger, yet like I mentioned, ESG and digital assets. Digital assets really is an interesting one that we're seeing. You know, firms really need to understand now how they're going to, you know, join up the dots there. How they're effectively going to be able to manage custody from a safekeeping perspective for digital assets alongside traditional assets. How are all these systems going to be able to intertwine and talk to each other? from an API perspective and how do you go to market with a solution like that? Yeah, absolutely. What are you seeing, Tracy, on that in terms of the triggers that are getting these business cases funded? Yeah, I think, you know, many of those same key themes, um, I, I guess I would I would highlight uh, regulatory is, is always, you know, I, I think uh, at, at the top, um, you know, in the past, how, how, where have we seen those transformational changes in technology that are driven by uh, regulatory change, market infrastructure change, um, you know, something we're seeing coming down the pipe is, you know, as you mentioned, a T plus one potential. So 
certainly that gets the attention of, of these operational efficiency uh, executives and, and how those systems could potentially handle something like that. I think I would go back to um, an original point that I said in, in where we think about new revenue. Um, so there is that healthy competition amongst market participants. So if market participant A is, is innovating uh, and launching new products via new technology, I think others take notice. Um, and, and as that gains steam and as you see some adoption growing in the market, I, I think that fear of falling too far behind also is, is a trigger uh, for, for them to maybe out, reallocate some resources and prioritize that. Yeah, it's so interesting that ultimately the, the narrative that comes through from what you're saying is, is ultimately, you know, a lot of people talk about, as I said, legacy as being, okay, we've got a COBOL system that we need to throw in the bin or whatever. But ultimately, really what we're saying is that the catalysts for change are basically all the kind of the straws that break the camel's back. That, you know, that ultimately it's it's the suddenly that a, a crypto asset's turning up in the portfolio, that ESG data now has to be a prism through which we see everything. Or as you said, that basically that your, you know, your peers have run ahead and you need to keep up. Um, all of those are kind of things that ultimately you're only as, as good as, I mean, they, any of those could land tomorrow is what I'm thinking about. And so there's a real future-proofing case that ultimately if we'd gone back, you know, even three, four years and said, right, huge numbers of portfolios are going to include a digital asset, you know, ultimately very few people would have said, well, that's that means we've got to change now. And suddenly, you know, on a dime, we're, we're all having to face that. So for me, there's a really interesting conversation here around basically the fact that it's you're only as good as tomorrow's problem kind of thing. To your point, do you think that we are when we're having these conversations and we're taking you know uh, taking these investment proposals for, for for approval in terms of getting the spend do you think that the conversations are centered on the whole pnl the end to end pnl sufficiently because we're saying really that there's a massive revenue piece in this and the stats basically say that as i said more than 40% of the pnl of the project is revenue facilitation do you feel that that comes through adequately in conversations today I think, I think it all comes down to really an institution's appetite for change and the capacity to change, Barney. I think you've got a cultural aspect and you've got a financial aspect. And a lot of times do firms have the staff and the talent to implement such programs. So you know, a lot of these programs require skill to manage, um, you know, a prioritization and going on that journey. Because I think a lot of times these transformations or legacy tech changes, they really are a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, oftentimes internal costs for any of these digital programs could easily be two to three times the cost of implementing a new solution from a vendor because there's a lot of internal stuff that needs to be kind of sorted be from your retiring systems, integration, development, etc., to support a new vendor. So I'd never underestimate that. I think there's a you know it's certainly a long journey, and I think you know, there needs to be a very good, strong talent pool within any firm that's kind of starting that journey to kind of get involved and how they bring forward their legacy technology. Yeah, and look, that frames up the the, the next part perfectly. So the, the whole question, as you're leading on to, really of managing and executing on the change. Um, you know, for me, the, the stats from the research that came out really clearly is that basically everyone is is looking at this. So 83% of firms that you know that we spoke to are either planning or executing projects in 2022, 2023. So pretty much 
uh, a significant minority of people are not actually making a, a major change in this area. And where that change is happening ultimately is in the equity space and predominantly in the corporate action space. So 40, 48% of firms in the, uh, in the equity space are, are actually replacing their legacy tech right now. Um, but that ultimately there's a big red flag in here, which comes back to, I think, many of the dependencies that you're just highlighting. This whole idea of, of incremental versus transformative change. It's about 50-50 between basically getting in a real system, you know, real, driving real change that's actually going to do more than just fix the last problem. Um, but half the market's still basically looking at just um, adding a new data layer, adding a bit here and there, and kind of just, just basically getting past the SDR, getting past uh, digital assets and surviving kind of thing. So for me, there's, there's a real question about, as I said, transformation versus kind of tinkering. So, I mean, how do you see that playing out? I mean, Richie, you mentioned, you know, that the, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg piece that you've got two thirds of the cost being the kind of, you know, to the cost of, of essentially the, the organization being ready to execute. And then about a third of the cost being the vendor solution, just picking rough numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you find that, uh, that that impacts people's ability to change and then ultimately, and then the, the, the change that they're actually up for in terms of their ambition? I think a lot of times, Barney, it comes down to really having clarity of business case of what you're trying to achieve. A lot of times I think the firms probably underestimate the level of change that's involved. You, know, you really need to understand the scope, the landscape of a change program really before they frame it. I think survey really highlighted three main ones which is reg risk and data but to me I'd also add into there you know talent having experience and having the know-how to implement such a program and you know having the will and the desire to change is one thing having the ability to implement it and deliver on it is a completely different thing a lot of times that comes down to having the experience and having that staff and that talent to be able to do such a program yeah 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 What's to be done on that? Just out of interest, I mean, you know, from a talent perspective, you know, that if what we're saying is part of the problem is that you know you don't really know these things until they suddenly hit you. Um, it means that basically you've got to be grooming your talent well, well in advance, and you've got to be writing and framing your business cases well in advance of the next big thing hitting you. How does that actually show up in a firm? Just in in terms of best practice, if you like. Um. I think it's about having change management programs in place. Um, there's no easy way, I think, for it to show up in a firm. I think firms have got to have the focus and have got to be always forward thinking. Um, certainly, ones that stand still inevitably will get left behind. I mean, you know, the rate and the change in technology today is is unprecedented. I mean, we've seen the pandemic, which I go back to refer to, you know, we've seen changes in firms over the last two years that probably traditionally would have taken five, ten years to have actually happen. So I think being on that journey now, I think it started with the pandemic, but I think now people are much more open to understanding the technologies that are out there. People are much more technology aware. So I think you just have to embrace it and kind of start to see it as a, as a positive thing to help the firms move forward. Mm. I think your point about yeah, change management as a fundamental discipline, as a BAU, I think for me, is it, that that's such a core piece that ultimately, as I said, it's not a question of survival. It's about embedding change management as a, as a as yeah as a core function within the organization just to deal with the constant level of change that we're facing that that really resonates for, for me and i mean tracy from your perspective you're obviously you're on the transformational end of this very much um, from a digital asset perspective in terms of restructuring the really the, the, not only the way we work but the mindset we bring to that how do you find the whole 
um, incremental versus transformational change piece in terms of when you're speaking to people, what's what's pulling them forward across that line from tinkering to transformation? Yeah, I, I think to double down a bit on, on Richard's point, um, on, on certainly firms need to uh, have those resources. Um, they need to be, you know, forward thinking. Um, but but how those, you know, I think from an or a change management perspective, how that organization uh, is is thinking. And, and I'll give you a, a client, you know, anecdote. I think some of the clients that we've seen that have that have embraced this change, that have really hired talented people, or at least started to cultivate that culture within, um, they they can begin and, and commit, I think, to these transformational changes. And, and through our experience and what we're seeing, those particular large customers that embrace it, that that hire and, and really move things forward, it's actually proven a direct result for shorter time to market, accelerated projects for many of their peers uh, across the industry. So it, it is a cultural change. But I think many organizations that have embraced that culture, um, others that are, are now starting that movement can really leverage a lot of the uh, lessons learned from, from those that have, have really moved with, um, you know, with, with a proper plan. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the linkage between legacy tech and legacy transformation and, and the cultural change that you guys are talking about in terms of actually bedding in certain talent pools into the organization as a, as a necessary um, first step. I, I personally, I don't feel that that necessarily comes through enough in people's organizations. As I said, it's too easy to just deal with the, with the latest challenge and, and not really take the bigger cultural change piece into account. But if, if if we look at the overall market, I mean, there are different speeds of legacy transformation based on different um, pressures that we've talked about in terms of growth and um, so on and so forth. The survey highlighted equities and particularly the, the corporate action space as being a real standout. Um, does that resonate with you? And I, I suppose, Richie, from, from your perspective, um, what, what's behind that in terms of what makes that space so uniquely suited to what we've been discussing? Yeah, I think corporate actions has always been a, a hot topic. I think, Barney, particularly over the last 10, 15 years. I think traditionally you can see a lot of operational teams seem to manage it through the wonderful world of Excel or a lot of manual touch points. And I think what's happened is that now effectively people are looking to automate both from an announcement capture perspective and certainly the downstream processing. And again, there's multiple op- multiple options out there around, you know, from a Announcement capture perspective and managing clean messages. You can have managed services effectively. You can outsource and get very clean data from and multiple multiple vendors. But I think it's been such a manual process. There's so manual so many manual touch points in it that certainly a lot of firms now are looking to reduce the risk around it, reduce the you know, the complexity. Some of the events are very very highly complex and need a lot of manpower on it. So I think corporate actions is one that's always been to the front of the floor in the last few years that people have probably not had the investment initially but certainly now they're seeing it as such a risk area that they want to get it down to a highly streamlined and highly effective process going forward. Tracy, from your perspective, just thinking about what we opened with in terms of where the biggest areas of challenge are, you know, we talked about local systems, regional systems, siloed asset classes. What, what do you feel we're overlooking 
Um, are there any areas where where you feel that there's a that we continue with a risk? You know, in terms of some of the silos that we talked about at the beginning that aren't being dealt with. I think siloed systems are are, are certainly um, a risk to a company's technology infrastructure. Um, I think we're, you know, as an industry, we're only going to try to increase the products that we're um, getting out to clients, as you've you've well noted on the evolution of of the digital uh, products. So I think siloed systems, you know, we can't continue to just put an additional system within our infrastructure. So how, how do we, you know, I think Richard mentioned this, how do we work on better integrations? How do we um, kind of br- bring these technologies to, to handle uh, new issuances? But I, I would go back to the corporate actions. Um, I think it's something we certainly see a lot, uh, but, but I think you can, you can take the scenario around what's pushing corporate actions and apply it to other parts of the organization because really it's the it's the risk around human capital um, and a focus on, on on even Excel spreadsheets uh, in, in a process. The the pandemic certainly brought to the forefront that you know people need to be able to work within a much more sophisticated integrated system across organizations uh, without that human capital risk. So. Um, you know, those are really single siloed systems. And I think, uh, you know, having too much, you know, because certainly these corporate action teams uh, are fantastic. Uh, they're, they're very good at what they do, but I think there is that risk of, of the human capital. You know, there, there is a, a, an area that we can bring together technology and the oversight of, of these very experienced people to, to make that significantly de-risk a, a system like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I suppose on the on the on the negative side, let's think fast forward. We we're saying the conversation would have been very different five, ten years ago. Fast forward five years, why and where is legacy just going to carry on surviving? I mean, you know, there's there's many many reasons that are helping us to push across the threshold. Why why is why are certain areas of legacy technology just going to hang on? Do you think, Richard? I think it's an interesting one, Barry. Ultimately, there's still lots of legacy systems out there. You can see that from the survey. I think they survive because a lot of tactical solutions, effectively sticking plasters are put in place, and also they have a lot of support by experienced experienced staff. But I'll be honest, I don't think that's sustainable, certainly not in the long term. At some stage, those plasters will need to come off, and there's going to be a major issue there. I think you you need to have that level of continuity planning. You You need to have system upgrades, rather than these minimum efforts to keep systems running, you need to have sound practice. But I think in order for firms really to move and, and move forward from that, they need the right people, they need talent. I know we went back to that point earlier, but that's what's going to be needed to help these systems and these, these firms move forward because that experienced staff that they've been relying on for the last 10, 15, 20 years, effectively those people are going to retire and there's going to be a serious problem within some of these institutions and how to support those platforms. I mean, it does feel like, you know, we are loosely you know we are starting to get to the point where you know this this the burden is untenable almost as you say it's it just can't we can't carry on as we have tracy does that resonate from your perspective i mean do you feel that ultimately that you fast forward five years and that you know the tolerance for legacy is is so diminished that ultimately we really are going to do something about it or do you think certain parts will, will, will kind of resist the change 
Yeah, I, I think certain parts will continue to resist the change. You know, do do nothing is the is the biggest risk I think to these organizations. Um, and and it, unfortunately, uh, sometimes it takes uh, an event uh, to force that change. You know, whether it's global pandemic, whether it's a change in regulatory, um, you know, initiatives. But uh, I think to Richard's point, hiring. Uh, and, and at least managing uh, the staff, like you said, that's been working the same system and they will retire. I think bringing in the innovation and start to cultivate that culture uh, will will help organizations identify um, the areas to prioritize over time. Because I, I don't think, you know, we've, we've touched on that, to run out and, and try to play catch up on some of these things is not the best business model. But, you know, uh, creating that culture to replace things over time the right way uh, with the right future technologies is, is what companies will need to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So thank you for that, because I think the idea it, it takes an event to force the change really yes. resonates. Um, you know, the key is that ultimately, if, if that can, if we can get ahead of that, then ultimately, as you said, we're not going to find ourselves on the back foot um, and, and, and struggling to, to keep up. So the last question then for both of you really is, is okay, so how do we wrap all this together? If you are sitting there um, with somebody who's kind of running an operation of, of varying degrees, what are the three, four steps that we need to be taking from a kind of standing start to feeling like we've really, we've really got this one down in terms of managing the legacy tech agenda? Richie, have you got a view there? Yeah, I think regularly, Barney, I think there's probably a number of points that they need to be kind of looking at regularly. I mean, you need to be a set app assessing your 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 tech stack you know is it fit for purpose i mean it's a it's a really obvious thing to say you know you need to be looking at what percentage of your tech spend is keeping the lights on rather than investing in new systems you know you need to be very abreast of what's happening in the industry like you know what systems are available that best serve your needs you know are you implementing the right systems that can potentially save you money in the long term particularly if there's possible options around managed services out there you, know, you could have providers that effectively are adding new features that could enhance your business without you be aware of it then I think you just you need to be planning for the future. You know, is it better to continue invest small amounts in latest technology rather than having a system issue that you you know you can't service clients in the future? I think ultimately, then those three steps it's almost rinse and repeat every year. You need to continually refresh this and be on top of it and keep looking at it to see where you're positioned from a technology point of view. Because the one thing about technology is it's it's not slowing down, um, and if anything, you know it's going to pick up further over the next few years as new and new newer technologies come on stream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that rinse and repeat piece really stands out for me. The the, the idea that it's not a, you don't just have a look and then realize that you're comfortable. Uh, it's this constant questioning and constant re- recycling of the question. Absolutely, Tracy. From your perspective, what, what do you think is has really stood out as key success drivers for the projects that you've seen? I think you know to be proactive rather than reactive. Um, I think you know this industry. Uh, at times has been resistant to change. I think uh, over the years, technology has proven to um, to be very helpful to organizations. And I, and I think uh, they need to continue to innovate, continue to hire and, and be proactive on evaluating you know, wh- what is important to their business and therefore prioritizing that technology spend uh, with that. I, I think seeing organizations uh, not necessarily take a, a crazy risk, but to to step out and test um, test the market with 
with new products and, and new innovations. I think that's where, you know, we will take those steps. But, you know, having the staff, having the talent uh, within your organization to support that and, and be effective with that is going to be key going forward. Brilliant. Now, look, thank you for that. Because I think for me, the, the, the consistent theme of everything we've talked about is that, you know, I think, as I said at the beginning, to oversimplify legacy technology historically has just been a kind of firefighting job that uh, is, is very, very tactical. But what we're, saying, what we're saying is that there's a much more fundamental um, and constant approach that needs to be taken to this. You know, I think that the proactive versus reactive, um, you know, keeping up with industry solutions um, and ultimately just constantly building and maintaining the talent pool that's going to facilitate all of this. They're all, I don't think, factors that automatically come into the whole legacy tech conversation. So thank you very, very much for, for drawing it all together as cleanly as you have. Um, so as I said at the beginning, anyone who wants to be able to download uh, the uh, key findings, they're available at vx.io. But uh, Richie, Tracy, thank you so much for running through this. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure anyone who wants to be able to reach out will be pinging you with questions about how to manage uh, the next legacy problem that they've got and how to make the most of it. So thank you. Thanks, Barney. Thank you.